This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Our guest today is a frequent guest on our show, Audrey Harrison. As an entomologist, she studies the insects around us and how they're helpful in our everyday lives. And so today, we'll talk about what insects are making an appearance this late summer, and also get an update on monarch butterflies. If you got a pet question, Dr. Major here is here ready for to uh, help. Join the conversation this morning with a phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show. Just send it to animals at mpbonline.org. If you ever miss part of or all of Creature Comforts on Thursday, it repeats every Saturday morning at 6. So good morning, uh, Libby, Dr. Major. Hope you're both doing well this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Libby, I think that you're still our traveling correspondent out on the West Coast. If you would, give us an Oregon update. Oh, okay. Let's see. We've been camping the last couple of days uh, very close to Newport uh, on the coast. So we're on the coast, and it might be confusing to Mississippi uh, people that are used to going to the beach or the coast and expecting it to be warmer, but the uh, I think the West Coast tends to be cold anyway because of um, how cold the water is. It's a difference in the current. So this is water that comes down from Alaska, and it's pretty cold. Uh, my grandson will get in the water. <laughs> I did not. Uh, get your feet wet a little bit. might be the most, but yesterday I didn't even do that. There's a really cool breeze, uh, absolutely gorgeous beaches, but um, it's cool and very rocky. And I went to sleep and woke up hearing sea lions. Mm. So that's also, I guess, a big difference from any coast that we might go to in Mississippi. So uh, seals and sea lions are pretty commonly seen along the coast, and we're seeing them and hearing them through the night. So that's pretty cool. Uh, some birds are very similar to what we see at home, and uh, like uh, there's a California brown pelicans. We saw a lot of those yesterday, cormorants, but then mixed in with them, there will be um, birds in the auk and puffin family, and uh, I watched um, uh, guillemots yesterday, uh, pigeon guillemots that are um, really interesting animals, so it's, it's very different coastline but uh we're really enjoying it and it's kind of fun in august or i guess we're, we're september now though aren't we mm-hmm. third day of september it's um a very chilly morning so if i remember correctly you were in corvallis uh, at the start of your visit or was it eugene yeah. okay yeah. how far is yeah, corvallis so in, from the coast just uh took us about an hour to get here. Okay. And do you did you notice much change in the animals and the environment around you from one area to the next? Well, um, 
Corvallis is in a valley, really, between the Cascades and the um, coastal range of mountains. So we went through the coastal range. So we did, you know, get high enough for our ears to pop and all that, and then uh, go back down to the coast. But um, so it's not a lot different from Corvallis in some ways, but um, it's it's rockier. Uh, oh, we also heard foghorns most of the night. It tends to be wetter over here, rains more often. Uh, we've had two sunny days, but there'll be fog in the mornings and in the evenings, just enough. The foghorns go, I think, most of the time anyway, just to be positive that Nobody hits the rocks in their boats. Uh, Dr. Major, there's going to be a bit of a cool weather snap, I think, next week, uh, at least here in central Mississippi. Uh, As the temperatures get cooler and we move into fall, are there anything that we need to think about in terms of uh, pets and and what they might need? I think probably the big thing is to celebrate the fact that it's getting cool, and uh, (laughs) I'm sure the pets will enjoy that as well. It's always amazing to see different animals uh, when it does have a change from hot to cool. Uh, they actually, even large animals, will cavort, and you can tell the difference. They, they like it, and our dogs and other animals that go outside, <laughs> including us, uh, certainly enjoy the cooler weather. Uh, in terms of uh, adapting to it, though, I guess uh, they know to, I guess, whatever, add-on maybe to their coat or whatever, uh, so we don't need to really worry about sweaters unless we want to embarrass our dogs or cats. <laughs> well, there are embarrassing sweaters. We see those <laughs> uh, all, the, all the time. So in some pretty good outfits that uh, we see. One of the things that uh, does happen, especially in the climates further north, not as much the cool, but it's a difference in the daylight hours, and that will prompt uh, a uh, growth of a winter coat in, in most animals. Uh, the days get shorter. Uh huh. And, and I know I was uh, out playing tennis with some friends last night, and we were remarking on that that it is, it is started. So uh, the the days will get shorter, and it'll get darker a lot quicker uh, as we move through the fall and into the winter. Our producer Java found an interesting uh, news item. Uh, he heard it a couple of days ago, and all things considered, it's uh, purple martins that have taken roost outside the Shermerhorn Symphony Center. Biologists estimate that where there are about 150,000 have chosen to temporarily roost there. They're causing a disturbance with their droppings and even taking over the trees in the area. The story happens uh, to reach its climax when the Symphony Center called Pest Control to help, but Pest Control could not take action because of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act, which basically states that no action be taken against these birds. They just have to naturally leave when they continue their journey south. All of this, of course, happening to the delight of bird enthusiasts uh, in the area. If you're interested in the details on that story, Java will post it uh, with the podcast of this particular episode. Uh, so let's talk about purple martins in Mississippi. Is is it a common bird here in Mississippi, Libby? Uh, yes, fairly common. Yeah, they'll, they um, Many people look forward to their purple martins coming. And I don't do purple martins. I don't have them at my house. But uh, I bet a lot of our callers do. So maybe somebody will call us that has Purple Martin houses and give us more details about them. They're a, a much-loved animal. They they do a lot of 
acrobats in the air when they're catching insects, and they're a lot of fun to sit in your yard and watch. And so that's a, a bird that many people want to attract to their area. And our purple martins. And they do eat spiders. Go, go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm having a little bit of trouble hearing you, but uh, it's, a, it's a bird that, that um, migrates through Mississippi. So, they, you know, they come in the spring and leave again in the fall. And there's always a little bit of fun with that, I think, in that you're anticipating the arrival of your annual guest. Are purple martins actually purple? Depending on how the light strikes them, yeah, they're a, a purpley blue. Uh, they can. You're going to always notice them as a dark bird against the sky, but um, how much purple or blue you see depends on how the light's striking them. All right, this is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Before our first break, I think we've got a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Barbara in Waynesboro with a follow-up from last week for us. Go ahead, Barbara. You're on the air. Yeah, good morning, Dr. Major. Um, I spoke to you about a month ago regarding the Great Pyrenees I had taken in, and he was pretty starved yep. out and all. And um, I was giving you a follow-up. I had him into the Waynesboro Animal Clinic yesterday to get the other part of his rattlesnake vaccination. And um, he went from 80 pounds to 91.3 pounds. So we made a little bit of progress. Much, as much as right. I right. But, uh, Dr. Major, he will not eat the dog food. I, um, I just have to cook food for him. He, he just won't eat it. I, you I'm sorry, broke up. Yes, sir. Um, I said, the dog will not eat the dog food. He just won't eat it. Yeah, I remember, Barbara, you were reporting when you called in before that that was the problem, was that you had to cook the food for him because he wouldn't eat uh, eat the dog food. But he's made a little bit of progress. What Have you been still cooking for him? Oh, yeah. I, I have no choice. He would eat canned dog food, and then he just quit eating that, and he went like two and a half days and ate nothing. And um, Dr. Pitts was over at my place for a different reason, and he looked in his mouth and all, and he said, well, he, he looks fine. Just, uh, you know, keep leaving the food out for him. Well, on the third day, I just, I fixed him something because he. I think he, I think he must be, must be a pretty good cook. I think that's probably it. And he's figured out that you're going to cook for him, which is okay if you can kind of balance it, uh, do a balanced diet and try to also get some vitamins would be good. Yes, sir. I did that, but I have to put them in a peanut butter sandwich. He won't eat them. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's more. The an avocado, but he will not eat a milk bone. Well, there's more. There's more to this than we know, probably. But I would say that you've done a great job. He's picked up at 11 pounds, and uh, just try to balance his diet as best you can, and. You know, it I sounds like he's doing good. Yes, sir. His behavior, you know, I, I had reported to you before, his behavior was slightly disturbing to me because he picked up on my sight, my eyesight limitation, and he was just very overprotective. 
but I think he's become accustomed to the traffic around my place, and he's recognized the four or five people that are always, you know, coming and going. And um, he doesn't seem to be as grouchy about that. Uh, I did have one incident with the fellow who helps me every morning. He let out a bear-type growl and grabbed him by the arm, but he didn't break the skin, and he didn't act too bad. And I think it was our fault because I was walking to a gate, and the fellow said, hang on, Miss Baba, I'll get the gate. And he reached around me to flip the chain, and that's when the dog just bolted. But we've avoided these dogs, that. These dogs, yeah. these dogs have a great reputation as a protector of both people and livestock, and uh, really, I think you've got your great dog here, uh, and you're you're doing a good job, so uh, oh, I appreciate your call back. <laughs> yeah, he, he makes me smile all day, every day. He's, just, he's a wonderful, wonderful dog, but uh, we're making progress, so I was just going to give you the update. All right, Barbara, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you, and good to hear that uh, it's a, a good report with the dog. Uh, if you don't mind, maybe occasionally give us a call back. Uh, let us know how things are going. We certainly appreciate hearing from you. It's time for our first break of the hour. When we get back, we'll begin our discussion with a friend entomologist, Audrey Harrison. We'll talk about the monarch butterflies, the insects can be seen during the late summer season, and more, so stay tuned. Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And our guest for this hour is entomologist Audrey Harrison. If you want to join the conversation with a question or comment, you can call us. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 You can email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. Audrey, thanks for coming back and joining us on the program again. If you would remind us how you got interested in insects. Good morning. You know, I love being on the show. And so I'm glad to be here today. Um, I first got in, interested in insects as a young child. I liked catching insects. Then I intend, attended an entomology camp through Mississippi State Extension Service, and they still have that camp, so check it out. And it was just it was just a game changer for me. It, I was introduced to entomology as a career, and it ended up becoming my career, thanks to um, my entomology professor in college, Dr. Bill Stark. And I have just continued on with entomology, and there's always something to learn and to observe and it's just really been a joy to study these fascinating creatures. Very good. Before we dive into things, uh, we've got an ant question on the line. So let's say good morning to James in Hattiesburg. Go ahead, James. You're on the air with us. Good morning. And, and may I say first, it never ceases to amaze me how many amazing stories start with Mississippi State Extension Service. <laughs> uh, I, I was calling today to ask about uh, ant farms. Uh, I live in an apartment where I can't own any large animals. I own a betta fish 
and I was thinking about getting an ant farm. And the question was first, uh, how how long of a lifespan do uh, those colonies have, and do they come with breeding pairs to reproduce, or is it a situation where it is just drones and they need to be replaced? Audrey, any thoughts? That, yeah, that's a great question. So I think that there are several ways that you can have an ant farm. Um, some people that keep ant farms will actually collect a queen ant and um, and use those for their ant farms. I'm not sure on the lifespan of any individual ant, but um, if you have if you have a queen and and then she has if she is fertile and um, and lays eggs, then she will build up that colony. And so they would, you know, continue to, to reproduce. Uh, I'll be honest, I've never had an ant farm. I don't think my mother have allowed that. And, and so I, I don't know for sure, but I can look into it some more and get back to you. Thank you. All right, uh, James, uh, you know, keep listening to the show. Also, though, if you could send an email to animals at mpbonline.org, uh, we'll hook up with uh, we, we'll hook you up with Audrey. We'll send your email to her, and maybe you two can continue to uh, investigate and help you get that ant farm set up. All right, thank you, sir. You bet. Thanks for calling. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Visiting this hour with our guest entomologist Audrey Harrison. Uh, Audrey, you have an event that you want to tell us about that's coming up at the Clinton Nature Center. Give us some details on that, if you would. I would love to. So the Clinton Nature Center has been closed for much of the summer, as other places have with COVID, and we are so excited to bring back our lecture series. And we are going to be holding our lecture series outside in our parking lot. So parking will be along the street. And I will be opening our lecture series up tonight, talking about monarch butterflies and their migration. And so I would love for you for you to all come out, bring a chair or a blanket, and we will have our presentation out in the parking lot of the Nature Center. And we will even have some seeds for sale, some milkweed seeds and some other um, great butterfly plant seeds for sale. And we ha- we do still have some plants in our greenhouse from our Arbor Day sale that uh, are great butterfly plants. So um, that starts tonight at 7.30, just after sundown. And we look forward to seeing you there. All right. Uh, in addition to that, I've been uh, with uh, to the Nature Center with a friend of mine, and we walked through the nature trails, and they were really, really uh, great. We've been doing a lot of hiking around state parks and everything, but we both uh, thought that the Clinton Nature Center was, was right up there. Uh, you know, the trails were easy to walk, but lots of interesting things. Uh, we went through the Butterfly Garden, so uh, just a personal uh, thumbs up and, and an, an encouragement for folks to go check out the Clinton Nature Center, something in the central Mississippi area that's easy to access, but uh, is a lot of, of fun to do. Um, we had a question. Barbara called in about her dog who's had trouble or doesn't eat dog food, and I think uh, Earl from Memphis wants to talk about that. Earl, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. I I, I can sympathize with the lady because I, I rescue dogs I've got I've had for some of them that I've kept for years, but they uh they will not eat dry dog food unless I dress it up. Like right this morning while I'm listening to you, I'm cooking a big pot of chicken quarters that I have to pour the juice into the 
the uh, dog food and then chop the meat up in there, or they won't they won't eat it. And a vet friend of mine said, "Well, just let them go, and they'll eat it." But they went as long as four days and never touched it. So I just couldn't let them go hungry. So I started feeding them. But also, my dogs are very protective of me. I have to be careful because uh, they're very good with people when they come in the house. But if they go and touch me, you know, put their hand on me, those dogs kind of start heading towards them, you know. And uh, and another thing is if someone, my daughter, was uh, hollering at me one day to get my attention, and they got mad at her because they didn't like her raising her voice to me. <laughs> so th- these animals are so perceptive. They really are. And uh, But I just thought I'd add that to it, that if people have some problems with that, might do like she was talking about her peanut butter sandwich. Uh, is to maybe just get chicken quarters that are quite, uh, when they're on sale, they're quite reasonable, and boil them, and then just put, I skin them first on, get all the fat off, and then uh, just pour that in their in their dry food and with some of that chicken, and they gobble that up then. But they won't eat dry food. I don't care how much I pay for it. Yeah. All right. But I just thought I'd add that, that that might be a common problem that some people do have that problem to get, uh, they can get chicken for it's a little bit of work, but uh, they'll they'll eat it then. Yeah. All right, Earl. Thanks for the call. Appreciate that. You know, we've always heard that cats were the finicky eaters, but apparently there are some uh, picky dog eaters out there as well. So thanks for the tip of uh, boiling that chicken and adding it to the dry food for uh, to get them to go ahead and eat the food. Uh, we've got another caller on the line. Uh, Ken in Greenville wants to talk caterpillars. Good morning, Ken. Go ahead, please. Hey. Good morning. Uh, yeah, well, I planted uh, some milkweed uh, this spring, and it's just done amazing in my yard. Uh, and I had a monarch butterfly flying around the yard a couple of weeks ago, and it put some eggs up underneath the leaves like they do. And I went out a couple of days ago, and something had been eating food, you know, just the, the milkweed leaves themselves, and on closer look, I've got like four or five of the monarch caterpillars now just devouring the plants. I'm just curious now what um, what happens to them, where they go from here. Aren't you lucky? That just brings a smile to my face, and that's exactly what I tell people. If you plant milkweed, which is the host plant for monarch butterflies, they will find it and they will lay their eggs on it and you will have milk, you will have monarch caterpillars. So that's so exciting that you do have monarch caterpillars. And, um, and what you described is exactly what we see. The mama monarch uh, lays her eggs on the underside of the leaf to kind of protect them. And those caterpillars hatch and they are just voracious. Um, and they eat the leaves, and they grow really fast outside, particularly in warmer temperatures. And so your caterpillars are going to continue to grow until they reach their mature caterpillar size, which is about the size of your thumb. And and then at that point, they will crawl away from the plant, usually, from, from what I've seen in my yard, and they will... Uh, they will form a chrysalis. They'll they'll pupate and form a chrysalis that will hang from either a, a twig or a structure around that plant, and they will be in that in that chrysalis for about a week and a half to two weeks, and then they will emerge into an adult monarch butterfly. At that point, 
they will, um, this generation that we're seeing right now is uh, part of the migratory generation that is heading south to Mexico. Mm -hmm. So that butterfly will likely start heading south. Um, it may mate along the way, and there may be some babies that are between here and Mexico. Um, it's usually between here and the coast, and then those babies will probably migrate too. But you are participating in the fall monarch migration, and great job. You are raising up uh, butterflies that will continue um, that, that migration south and will overwinter in, in south-central Mexico. Oh, wow. Well, that's I mean, I'm really excited about it all. I, I was kind of sad to see the milkweed uh, <laughs> be eaten because it's such a pretty flower. Um, but, you know, I counted six of the caterpillars out on it uh, yesterday morning. And, you know, I guess that's why I grew it in the first place. So I'm, I'm happy for them to have food, and I'm, I'm glad to be a part of the process. It's just been fascinating. So you're saying they won't necessarily have the chrysalis on the milkweed plant. They'll go somewhere in the vicinity and put put that together? That's typically what I see on my plants. I rarely see the chrysalis hanging from the milkweed plants. I have seen mm. it before, but usually those chrysalises are so hard to find. Usually you don't mm -hmm. find them. And, right. um, and where I do find them is usually on a nearby plant um, or on a structure such as the side of the house or a little lip okay. um, over overhang they'll if they find a place like that they will um pupate there now your okay. milkweed plants you bring up a great a great point um your milkweed plants are actually adapted to being eaten by monarchs and other milkweed specific insects and so it's a great thing and they will grow back um and most of the time um, you'll have you'll have time for them to grow back after the caterpillars have eaten them, and you may okay. even have more caterpillars on them later. And as we're approaching fall, it's fine because the vegetation uh, above ground is going to die back. But mm -hmm. that is a perennial plant; it has a tuber in the ground, and they have a really strong root system. And you'll have fresh growth in the spring, and you'll be ready for the spring migration as they return north from Mexico and make their way onto southern Canada. Oh, well, so that's you're you're doing exactly what you should be doing. And I, I like to say that if your if your plants aren't being eaten by something, then they're not part <laughs> of the ecosystem. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a good point because they are definitely being devoured. Um, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the information on it. And, um, yeah, I'm excited about what's going on here in my own backyard. It's pretty fascinating. All right. Uh, that's wonderful. And especially in such an important place such as the Mississippi Delta, we need to have milkweed in every yard in the Delta. Thanks, Ken, for your phone call. Great story. That was uh, that was, uh, and again, Audrey, it's fascinating that you mentioned how the milkweed has adapted to being eaten like that, and that's just some of the, kind of the the mysteries and the the excitement of nature, I guess. Yes, absolutely. And there are so many different plants that have different insect associations, and every every species pair. Um, of insect and plant has a unique story to tell. And it's really fun to, to learn about those relationships and to think about how, how they are adapted for each other. 
All right, it's time for another break. Today we're talking monarchs and other insects with our friend entomologist Audrey Harrison. If you've had recent brushes with monarch butterflies like our friend Ken did or a pet question for Dr. Major, we want to hear from you. So give us a call with questions and comments. The number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back with more after this. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. This week, we're visiting with entomologist Audrey Harrison. If you want to join our conversation, you can give us a phone call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Or email the show, send it to animals at mpbonline.org. So, Audrey, we talked a little bit about how important milkweed is for the monarch butterfly. Are there some other things that people can do in their yards to make uh, their yards a little bit more butterfly-friendly? Yes, absolutely. So another thing that you can do to help the monarchs is to plant um, all sorts of flowering native plants, um, especially plants that will bloom all year long. And, and you can plant groups of plant species that will, that will be in bloom so that there is nectar available in both the spring and the fall migrations. Um, one of the great species that we have blooming right now, or several species, are our goldenrods. And um, you'll notice their yellow blooms are, are quite common everywhere. Um, they are not as common as they used to be. And I think that a lot of people see those as weedy plants, but they are extremely important uh, fall nectar sources for a variety of different pollinators, including monarch butterflies. Also right now, you'll see joe pie weed is blooming, a beautiful pink color, and ironweed is blooming purple. And, um, and so those are just a few of the important plants that we have in bloom right now. Um, but another thing that you can do is you can, like I mentioned earlier, you can plant other plant species that have their own insect association. You can plant passion flowers and, and have those grow in your gardens, and those will attract Gulf fritillary um, butterflies, and they will lay their eggs on those. There are just uh, lots of different um host plant caterpillar associations that you can have right there in your flower bed. Um, I have um, a hop tree growing in my flower bed, and we always have beautiful giant swallowtail uh, caterpillars on, on that tree. And so there, if you're interested in that, come to the Clinton Nature Center, and we can, um, we can talk about that tonight and make some suggestions for species that you can plant. 
And a reminder, too, that uh, you had mentioned there is a, a, a lecture that you're giving tonight at the Clinton Nature Center beginning at 730. So, again, if folks uh, uh, are interested about what we're talking about here on the show uh, and can make it out there, that would be an interesting lecture to attend. And you mentioned that it is socially distanced. It's going to be done in the parking lot uh, and that folks probably need to bring maybe a lawn chair or a blanket, something to sit on uh, to enjoy the lecture tonight at 730 at the Clinton Nature Center. Let's uh, go back to the phone lines in addition to... Butterflies, uh, we're talking about. Uh, we've got a call from uh, Laura Lynn in Jackson talking about milkweed. Go ahead, Laura Lynn. You're on the air with us. Hi. Um, I wanted to know where I could purchase milkweed plants for Jackson and also for Fairhope, Alabama. And would, would it be the same type of milkweed or are there different native types? That's a really good and important question. Um, for Jackson, you purchase milk that are native to the Jackson area um, at several of the, the plant sales that occur in Mississippi. In the Jackson area, the Clinton Community Nature Center has a fall plant sale and also um, a spring plant sale. Our fall plant sale is going to be held on November the 7th. And we will have several species of milkweeds that are native to central Mississippi. And, um, and then also tonight, we're going to have milkweed seeds for sale, a couple of different species. Um, for Fairhope, I would just encourage you to maybe look for, um, for an Alabama Native Plant Society group and email one of their, um, one of their leaders and ask where the native plant sales are. Um, additionally, there are also some nurseries that sell native plants um, that you can check into and just make sure that those aren't treated with any sort of pesticides because those can be harmful to the caterpillars. And then another thing um, pertinent to your question is, are there differences in which plants you should plant depending on what region you're in? And that answer is yes. You, you want to make sure that you're planting species that are native to southeastern United States, um, and, and particularly that they are regionally native. And you can do that. You can find out that information by visiting wildflower.org. It's the Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center in Texas, and they have an awesome, um, an awesome website and database that you can go and look up uh, native plants for your area. One species in particular that we want to avoid planting is tropical milkweed. And unfortunately, that's one of the most commonly available um, milkweed species commercially. So that's one of the species that you'll always see in your big box stores. And um, many times those are treated with, um, with chemicals. And then additionally, because they're tropical in nature and they don't always die back completely, um, they have been found to harbor um, parasites that can infect monarch caterpillars and that will is basically detrimental to them. It will kill them eventually. And, um, and so we want to avoid planting tropical milkweed because those are, those, that species is not native to, to our area. Okay. All right, uh, Laura Lynn, thanks for the call. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, let's stay on the phone lines. Our friend Roger from Florence has a butterfly story to share. Good morning, Roger. Go ahead. Good morning. This is a shout-out to uh, teachers like my late wife, who was a uh, venture teacher. For years, we had a 
about a four foot by four foot by four foot net. And she raised every year monarchs from the beginning. I think she would get these, uh, uh, maybe the the caterpillars or the eggs in the mail, but then started. And, of course, we have butterfly plants all over the place. So that's something, that's a shout-out for teachers who do that sort of thing. This was venture she taught for 20 years. But what a wonderful thing. We and I, we gave it back to the school. That can be done in the home or in the classroom. Not a big deal. And it's just beautiful, and you see the entire cycle of the monarchs. And then you can plan, as we did, to follow the monarchs. All right, uh, Roger, thanks for the call. We're having a little bit of trouble cutting in and out, but we appreciate that, and that makes a lot of sense. And Audrey, uh, you know, he talks about uh, teachers and uh, using uh, nature in their uh, their classrooms, especially for younger kids, and that kind of helps foster a next generation of, of folks who appreciate uh, nature and, and kind of respect it and would encourage it, I guess. Absolutely, and I think that that is just critically important. For years, the Clinton School District has um, has had teachers that will come out to the monarch rescues here, um, especially in the spring, and they will rescue eggs and, and caterpillars from plants that are going to be mowed. And so who, the caterpillars and eggs that, that really don't have a chance for survival, and they'll bring those into their classrooms and, rate, and allow their classrooms to rear out the caterpillars, teach in the life cycle, and, and also about their fascinating migration to the students. And that's something that, that we need more of. And, um, and, and so I think it's a great thing. Um, one thing that, that has come out recently in, in recent research is that captive rearing of monarchs can sometimes mess up their ability to migrate successfully. And I think that there's still some ongoing research and you know there will be more and more of that to understand what it is that um, that keeping them captive does to their ability to geolocate and go where they're supposed to go but I will say that um, it's not always the case because we've had monarchs that have been captively reared from areas that were going to be mowed and um, and they have been tagged in the fall and they've been found in Mexico so um so it doesn't always mess up their, their kind of internal compass, but there is some research that suggests that. Um, so I think it's a good thing, especially if there's a chance that those, that those caterpillars are not going to make it because they're in an area that is going to be mowed. Um, it's a great thing to rescue those caterpillars, rear them out, release them as adults, and, and allow that, that process to be observed by children and adults because it's a great learning experience for everyone. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Before our next break, we do have a caller on the line. Earlier, we were talking about dog food. Gene, thanks for holding for us. Uh, what did you have to share with us? Hey, my wife talked to Dr. Major here about a month ago about a boss of Terry I had that I was trying to get her to wean him off of feeding him other foods in combination with dry dog food. And the key was in agreement with me that the dog would starve to death and actually didn't starve to death, but he was about four days before he eat anything. And now I have to get down on the floor and feed him by hand. But anyway, you can break him up from that 
eating that, all that other food she was feeding him bacon fat and everything else. But, uh, you know, when you got an old wife and a young dog, you know how that is. <laughs> it's like the, like the second coming of Elvis. You know, <laughs> can do no wrong. So, but anyway, we did get him to, 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 to start, and I used to get down on the floor and feed him a little bit. So, and I'm fixed to break him for that. He's going to eventually eat that stuff. And uh, do, can he start giving treats after a while? I couldn't give him any treats at all. All right, uh, Gene, thanks for the call. A little bit of tough love with the dog there, but seems to be uh, working. Uh, we're going to take our last break for this hour. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion with entomologist Audrey Harrison. Also, Dr. Major, still on hand, ready for your pet questions. You can call with questions and comments at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 7464 Email the show. Send it to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be back to wrap things up after this. A contractor ever tell you of the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major and Libby Hartfield. And today we've been talking with entomologist Audrey Harrison. If you missed any of today's show, you can always subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcasting app, or you can uh, download the MPB Public Media app. Um, so, uh, Audrey, we've been talking a lot about the monarch butterfly. What other sorts of butterflies can people find in Mississippi? Oh, gracious, Kevin. We have so many different butterfly species. Um, right now, I, uh, you'll see a lot of sulfurs um, and uh, the partridge peas, which are a little yellow flower that are blooming right now are important host plants for those. I've been seeing a lot of tiger swallowtails, giant swallowtails. Right now, red spotted purples have been very common right now. Um, it's just a wonderful time to see butterflies and, um, and having a little bit more time to be outside during this pandemic and um, to focus on nature and kind of get away from our busy schedule has probably allowed a lot more people to enjoy the butterflies that, that we've been seeing. Um, also, there have been some really cool moths um, at my lights around the house recently. Um, just last week, I had a huge sphinx moth, and those are just really striking. They're, um, they're also called hawk moths, um, and their wings are, they're, are pointed when they're at rest and, and they're just really beautiful um, moths and you'll recognize those in your garden um, because the caterpillars of the of the sphinx moths are hornworms. So if you've ever had tomato plants that have a big green caterpillar with a, a little horn on its uh, rear end, that's a, that's a sphinx moth caterpillar and there are lots of different species with lots of different um, caterpillars that are associated with different plants but that's one that people tend to recognize pretty readily because it's it can be a pest in their garden um but yeah there's just been there's been a lot out recently um lots of butterflies and moths lots of dragonflies I ride my bike several times a week, and I'm always astonished at how many dragonflies are feeding over the roadway and on the roadway. 
and and so I think a lot of those that we don't necessarily see when we're driving, but if you do take the chance to slow down and uh, walk, run, or ride your bike, you'll notice a lot more things around you. You know, a good point about the the pandemic. My friend and I, as I think I mentioned earlier, have been out and about a lot on nature trails and and parks. And we were down in Mount Olive a couple of weeks ago, saw a lot of butterflies. But the one thing, if if they would just stay still just a little bit longer so I can get my camera out and get a good picture of them, that would be helpful. But sometimes, you know, you get your camera out, you zoom in and and they flitter off uh, somewhere else. So it's uh, it's it's kind of fun to kind of chase them down a little bit. And I understand that they're not there for to take pictures, but it'd be it'd be nice if every once in a while they would they would sit still so I could snap the picture (laughs) yes I totally agree with that I totally agree but you just have to it's a reminder to stay in the moment and enjoy you know your own experience with that individual at that time I had a similar experience the other day I was kayaking with my daughter and we had a an enormous cotton mouth swim up to us and it was so curious and so I started videoing it and she said mama I can't really see it on your camera screen and I said don't watch it on the screen watch it in person you're getting to see it live you know it's important that you just take the moment in as as it occurs and and that was a good reminder to me that sometimes you know you want to capture these things but your your own experience with that individual animal is 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 just as important and it is so special to to have that opportunity to see and interact with these with these creatures. Right. And another quick story with that on a dolphin cruise in Pensacola, where my brother lives last summer, it was the same thing. I was so worried at first about oh, where they are, get my camera. And then finally, I, it was like you, I said, put the camera away. I'm not going to get a picture of them. But if I don't do that, I'm not going to be able to see them. And that's the whole reason we're out here in the Gulf in the first place. So a good, good thought to kind of stop and enjoy nature along the way. Our friend Bill is on the line with a butterfly story for us. Bill, thanks for calling. You're on the air with us. So go ahead. Hi, Bill. Are you with us? All right. Uh, let's move on uh, and try. Uh, Evelyn has called in today from Jackson. Evelyn, thanks for calling. Go ahead, please. Yes, thank you for taking my call. As a child and then again as an adult, I have planted curly leaf parsley, and I get caterpillars on it. And one time as an adult, I, I took it off and you know, for my kids and so they could see it form into a chrysalis and all of that. And uh, I wanted my curly leaf, so I went to, I bought some uh, flat leaf at the store. Didn't want the flat leaf. Do you know what kind of butterfly likes to lay its eggs on and and the, the on curly leaf parsley? Yes, I would, you're so lucky. I have planted, I have planted it for years and have not had the first caterpillar. So I'm really jealous. It's probably the black swallowtail, and um, and I don't know. It, it just wanted that particular type, I guess. It can be very finicky, um, but you're so lucky that you got to have those black swallowtail caterpillars. Um, and it's wonderful that you have, you know, that you allowed your children to witness that process. I'm also a teacher, and so when I, I, I plant zinnias when I teach, and then I also try and put in a couple of curly leaf parsleys, hoping that the, that the, the appropriate butterfly will find that supply of curly leaf. Uh, so, 
Yeah, plant curly leaf, folks. <laughs> right. Enough to cook with and enough for them to eat. <laughs> you found the yes, solution, Evelyn. Yes, that's the trick. You, you just plant plant some extra for, for, for the wildlife and then plant some for yourself. And usually you can strike a good balance. Thanks, Evelyn. Good to hear from you this morning. Uh, Audrey, we got about a minute left. It's a, enough time, though, for you to remind us of the event coming up at the Clinton Nature Center tonight. Okay. And tonight at 7.30 in the parking lot of the Clinton Community Nature Center, um, just, you can look up the address. Um, it's right in the heart of Clinton. Park on the street. Bring a chair or a blanket, whatever makes you comfortable. We're going to socially distance and spread out. You can bring um, you can bring food or drink in a reusable container, something that you can pack back out with you, and just come right at sunset around at 7:30 and enjoy talking about monarchs, their migration, how we can help them, um, and then look for our other events that are coming up. We have a native plant sale that's scheduled for November the 7th at the Clinton Community Nature Center. Also, in a couple of weeks, September 17th. We're going to have another lecture as part of our lecture series. And at that lecture, we'll be talking about the hummingbird migration. And and so just, just keep an eye on upcoming events. And, and we usually always talk about those on Creature Comfort. So thank you for the opportunity to come on and talk about one of my favorite things, monarch butterflies. All right, Audrey, always good to have you on the show with us. That's going to wrap us up for today. And Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio. Funding provided in part by listeners like you. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can go to mpbonline.org slash creaturecomforts. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Liz Gill. So for Libby Hartfield, Dr. Troy Major, and Audrey Harrison, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned because up next it's AutoCorrect with the lady auto mechanic, Allison Walker. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Conference heard only on MPB Think Radio.